Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Monday, November 27th edition of the Basement Academy. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving weekend. And we're going to dive back in after a few days of rest and refreshment and hold on to your hats. This week will be full, okay? Just in terms of the content, the images, um, and, and some of what we're going to talk about will, I'm sure, challenge us. Um, I, I want to begin with our morning psalm. I'd like to begin with Psalm 57. This is for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy. Interesting. What did that tune sound like? This is a psalm of David when he had fled from Saul into the cave. So we've looked at this before recently, right? Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God, who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 57 gives us figurative language. There, there are men whose teeth are spears and arrows, who, whose tongues are sharp swords. Now, obviously, that's not a literal. It's a, it's a figurative. It, it's a metaphor. It's a simile. It's, it's a figure of speech. So when we read the book of Revelation, we have to understand that John is employing. He's seeing things, but we also have to understand that he's employing figurative and symbolic language to communicate, just as the psalmist does. Okay, <clears throat> I suggested last Wednesday that I might do some more reflection on that prayer of George Herbert's. I, I think I want to keep moving, okay? Not that I don't want to dive into that prayer again, but, but let's keep moving. And so uh, we move to chapter 8, of reversed thunder, which covers chapters 10 and 11 of the book of Revelation. And Eugene Peterson frames these two chapters as the last word on witness. We're going to be introduced to two witnesses. And so today and tomorrow, I want to reflect on these couple chapters of Revelation and uh, some of Peterson's thoughts. 
in reverse thunder. <clears throat> so let me begin by reading chapter 10. Okay, so we've, we've had uh, the trumpets blasting, and so now we hit an interlude. Okay, so we had four trumpets in chapter 9, two trumpets, I'm sorry, in chapter 8, four, four trumpets in chapter 8 of Revelation, two trumpets in chapter 9, and now we get an interlude. We're following that same pattern as with the opening of the seals. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more, Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. That's chapter 10. Woo! <laughs> again, <clears throat> so there's language that's big and bold, you know, we're trying. We're we're trying to. Um, God's trying to get our attention. John in this vision, you know, trying to get our attention to what's going on here. <clears throat> and so we start with a mighty angel and the little scroll. We have seen a mighty angel already and heard from that mighty angel in chapter five in the throne room. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open it or even look inside it. Now, is this the same mighty angel? We don't know. But it's suggestive. We, we, we make the connection. Okay. We've got uh, angels holding bowls. We've got angels blowing trumpets. <laughs> And now we have a mighty angel with fiery pillar legs. Well, that's suggestive of God's presence guiding Israel through the wilderness, right? The pillar of fire that guided them. And so 
there's suggested images. There's an illusion going on here. We might think the Exodus, in a time of stress and difficulty for Israel, they were attended. God was present with them. So these seven churches and all Christians everywhere in the midst of this world where there's chaos and confusion and destruction, death, pain, and suffering, God attends us. <laughs> and so the angel is astride, the mighty angels astride the land and the sea, and the angel, an angel's a messenger, right? And we've met many angels, the angel in each of these seven churches, the messenger, perhaps a reference to the pastors, maybe not. But the angels represent God's presence. They, they represent God's intervention. They, they represent God's word and action in human affairs. Okay? So when we see the mighty angel, we, we realize we've already seen a mighty angel with a scroll, talking about a scroll. Now we have a little scroll that lies open in his hand. Ah, the scroll has been opened. Okay? The word of God is made plain and understood through Jesus Christ. And then this interesting request or or instruction go take that little scroll john and eat it now this too is an illusion now when we hear the words take and eat we might think communion right so ah we take and and eat uh, of the uh, of the the body and blood of our lord and so <clears throat> uh, ezekiel chapter 3 Three, I believe it is. Yeah, so at the end of chapter two of Ezekiel, then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Mmm... So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. And then he goes on. Ooh, yeah, I don't think this tastes so sweet when I have to preach judgment and woe to the house of Israel. Poor Ezekiel. Mm. And so there's an illusion going on here. As John sees the angel, sees the scroll, he's, he's instructed to take and eat. And the, the symbolism of eating the word is to inwardly digest the truth of God. Again, there's figurative language being used here, just like in the Psalms, right? There's figurative language. To eat the word, to take and eat, is to inwardly digest the truth of God, the meaning of God's word, the gospel, Jesus Christ, right? So make these words a part of your lives, John. Make these words a part of your lives, Ezekiel, and fellow Christian. <laughs> this is what we do when we hear the sermon. We're supposed to take the words in and receive just as we would the body and blood of our Lord to receive and to hold them fast. I think the language of the, the sweet and sour suggests the bittersweet realities that John is facing as he is, is a witness, right, uh, for, for Jesus Christ, and the bittersweet realities that we find in God's Word. There is so much encouragement, so much joy, so much blessing when we encounter God's Word. 
you know, the creation, the goodness of God, the promises, uh, the, the, the promises that we stand on, all of this, all of this wonderful truth. And yet, the scriptures hold for us bitter realities. There is a judgment. There are the wicked. There is evil. There are those who are lost, who will not repent, right? And, and so let's not be naive. Talked about this last week. Let's not be naive about evil. It is real. Let's not be naive about these scriptures. If you take from Genesis to Revelation, and we're in Revelation, there's some hard stuff here. And not everybody wants it. it, it it's, it's strong you know, food and, and drink indeed. So we've got this image of the scroll. So the interlude with all the trumpets blasting and all the chaos going on as we're praying in the midst of a, a broken, warring, conflicted world that, that, that is suffering. Now we're brought back to the scripture and we're brought back to the deep reality that scripture has both sweetness to it and it does turn our stomach sour, particularly those of us, you know, who, who John, myself, Eric, others, who bear the responsibility of teaching and preaching and proclaiming God's word. It is not easy. There are times I just only want to say happy things, but, but sometimes we have to say the hard truths as well, right? And then we get to chapter 11 about the two witnesses. And so John now is given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during their time they are prophesying, and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. These two witnesses have power to shut up the sky so it won't rain. Well, that's the Elijah story, right? And they have power to turn, how does it say, the waters to blood. Well, that's the Moses story, the plagues of Exodus. Elijah and Moses, law and prophet, the two who showed up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Ah. You see, illusion after illusion after illusion. And so there's this measuring of the temple, but the, temp, the, the court of the Gentiles is, is open, right? There's a protection, and yet there is also pain and suffering and persecution and destruction. And so we, the, how, how do we understand the 42 months and the 1,260 days. So, so the court of the Gentiles was trampled for 42 months. Translate 42 months times 30 gets you 1,260 days. And that's the length of time that the two witnesses will be bearing witness. Moses and Elijah, law and prophets, scripture, word, God's word proclaimed. <laughs> and so the trampling and the persecution and the destruction and the suffering 
are taking place at the same time, or shall we say the preaching of God's word and the witness are taking place at the same time. And so it's a both and. We live in a world where suffering is real. We live east of Eden where there's war and conflict. Um, Nation rises against nation. There's persecution. And while all that's going on, we go to church and we hear the gospel proclaimed. We send out missionaries who bear witness to all nations. And so it's John's way. It's kind of a poetic, imaginative way of saying, hey, churches who are suffering know that the gospel is being preached also. Know, know that while the trampling is going on, witness is taking place and you too shall be witnesses, right? And so we, we've got this image. <clears throat> Man, then it gets crazy. Now when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies, that is Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Well, he was crucified in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, the holy city, becomes as Egypt, that place of of bondage, right, that, 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 that Pharaoh's enslaving uh, Israel. And then um, Babylon, right? Um, I'm sorry, Sodom, Sodom, that place of destruction, right? And so Sodom and Egypt, okay? And so you've got the reality that witness takes place in the midst of a world that opposes God where there's great sin and great harm that is done and sought to be done to God's people. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation. Wait a second. We've heard that phrase. Our Lord has purchased, the Lamb has purchased from every people, tribe, nation, language. Oh, he doesn't purchase everybody, right? So there are those who come from all of the human family and gaze upon them gaze upon their bodies and refuse them burial. So there's a dishonoring of these witnesses. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because the two prophets had tormented those people who live on earth. They didn't torment them. They just preached the gospel. But people don't want to hear the gospel. Who are you to judge me? We say we call the world to repent and, and be reconciled through Jesus Christ. Well, who dare you call me to repent? I can do whatever I want. And so the torment is not a torment. It's a it, it's a it's a proclamation that calls the world to account and the world doesn't like it and so it turns and attacks. And so the, the persecution of the, the faithful uh, remnant, the faithful community takes place. But after three and a half days, uh, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them allusion to Ezekiel's valley of dry bones, right? The, the breath of God breathes in and now these dry bones, these dead bones now live, right? Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. So Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, are uh, enter into heaven. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming. 
because there's so much figurative language here and it's so graphic and you know these numbers what's going on it's this idea that in the midst of the suffering of our world the call to bear witness remains we don't get to just run and hide we are called to stand in the public squares and proclaim and suffer the consequences when the world turns and attacks us now i'm not getting attacked but the church gets attacked you're not getting attacked but the church gets attacked in other places and in our own society over time we may see a change in some of these uh, the, the, the freedoms we've been granted religious freedom and then the seventh trumpet sounds uh, verse 15 the seventh angel sounded his trumpet the interlude is over this reminder this this portrayal of witness that takes place in the midst of the persecution but it's it, it's it's everything's bounded right the witness they're persecuted but then they rise again okay and so evil does not have the last word life does right and so the seventh angel sounds his trumpet and there were loud voices which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Q handles Messiah. And he shall reign forever and ever. It's this passage right here that Messiah, that, that Handel uh, sets to uh, music. And the 24 elders, oh, we're still in the throne room. yes. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and within the temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Wow. It's easy to understand why we get lost in the book of Revelation, right? I mean, can we just go back to the throne room where it was really clear, right? There's the throne, there's the lamb, there's the elders and the angels, and we're singing and praying and having a good time. But that's not all it is, right? A table is set before us in the presence of our enemies. It's always a both and. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And so life is mapped east of Eden. The gospel is proclaimed east of Eden. And when the gospel is proclaimed to those who live east of Eden, some of them turn and attack because they do not want to be held accountable for their sin. Sin, we are rebels. <laughs> and some of us raise our hands and say, I give, I surrender. Lord, I, I wish to acknowledge my sin. And others defy. And they will not repent. That's how chapter 9 ended. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> let me close here. Today is just like, you know, like a fire hose. Tomorrow we'll try to tease some pieces out pastorally and try to make sense, a little more sense of these things before we move to the next couple chapters, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Moses and Elijah. Thank you for law and prophets. Thank you for faithful witnesses who bear witness even at great cost to themselves, to their families. And so give us courage and strength, humility, wisdom, 
that we may bear witness in our era, in our homes, in our places of work, in our generation. And Lord, give us the courage we need to stand against any opposition that may come our way. And so our everlasting hope is that the kingdoms of the world do become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and that he will reign forever and ever. And so hear our prayers as we lift them to you in the name of the reigning and risen Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God fill you with his spirit that you may be his faithful witness this day and every day. Amen.